everybody, and thank you so much for joining us live this morning on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, today we're going to talk about a topic that I feel very, very passionate about. We're going to talk about data storytelling. And more importantly, we're going to talk about how we can leverage data storytelling to increase data adoption and to create a better data culture within an organization. I'll be joined with Dr. Nate Nichols, who is the Chief Scientist at Narrative Science, and Cassidy Shield, the VP of Marketing at Narrative Science. I'm going to go ahead and bring them up on the virtual stage in just a minute, because as you're joining, I want to first I want to know where you're you know where you're tuning in from. That's always interesting to see kind of where people are are tuning in from. But we also have a fun question for you, and we really can't wait to hear the results of this. Basically, on a scale of one to ten, let us know how important do you think data storytelling is. Okay, so one being not important at all, five is average, and 10 is extremely important. So if you're joining us right now, please go ahead and answer that question. And um, speaking of questions, we will take questions and comments. We'll address those throughout the session. We're not waiting until the end of the talk to actually take questions. So feel free to ask things as they come up. All right, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and bring up Dr. Nate Nichols and Cassidy Shield here. Hello, welcome to the Dedicated Show. Hey, Kate. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, as, as more people are joining, I'll just restate my, my question quickly. We're asking you to rate the level of importance of data storytelling from 1 to 10, 1, not important at all, and 10, extremely important. And as those questions are, uh, responses are coming in, let's do some introductions. So uh, Dr. Nate Nichols, let's start with you and let people know a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in narrative science. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, thanks everybody for coming in, tuning in this morning. Uh, my name is Nate Nichols. I'm chief scientist in narrative science. I've been at NS for almost 11 years now, which is pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. My whole career has been here. I, I started uh, as an engineer and built a lot of our core technology uh, right after I got my PhD at Northwestern uh, from the AI lab there that narrative science actually spun out of. And originally I was going to be a professor after graduating and then I started working at NS for the summer and it was it was clearly too much fun to sort of have that opportunity pass by without me being part of it. So I switched careers, I started at NS, built a lot of our core technology uh, before shifting to the product side. And now in the chief scientist role, I'm I'm accountable for the the strategic value of our technology and of our our viewpoint on AI and uh, automated data storytelling in particular. And I also have a side sort of interest in storytelling broadly. Um, I run something called the Storytelling Workshop at Narrative Science. Uh, Cassidy is a, is a proud uh, member of the current class of that. We're doing it all remotely now, but that's a program where we bring employees through to help them um, get better, at, become better storytellers, both personally and professionally. Um, and I also wrote a book on storytelling with uh, my friend and coworker Anna Walsh, who I, I think I saw in the comments. Uh, we wrote a book called Let Your People Be People. You can come check it out. It's a free book, but it's all around how to use data storytelling to improve your organization and ultimately let your people be be more themselves. Awesome. Wow. 11 years. I, I actually didn't know that. That's that's really cool. So two quick follow-up questions. One, that storytelling workshop. Is that for employees of narrative science only, or can other people go ahead and check yes, it out? Yes, it, it, you got to be uh, an employee in narrative science to participate. We are hiring, so if you're really interested in the storytelling workshop, come to work at narrative science, and we would love to have you as part of that. 
but yeah, what for now, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of our it's one of our recruiting perks we have. We offer people. Perfect. And you mentioned the the free book. Um, where can people find that book? So maybe if somebody is on from narrative science, and they can share a link, or or is there an easy way to find it? Yeah, that would be um, that would be great if somebody's there. But if you if you Google "let your people be people" or come to the narrative science site, um, it's available as a PDF, and I think it's on Amazon now as well. It's a nice short. Okay. It's very it's very concrete, trying to trying to genuinely be helpful to people. So I think you should uh, you might want to check it out. Okay, awesome. All right, uh, Mr. Shield, let's hear from you. How did you end up with the narrative science and you know share share your story with us? Yeah, first I want to say. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm part of Nate's storytelling workshop. So after this event, I get to go to our workshop and present there, which is a lot more pressure than this. Um, uh, so welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining. I'm Cassidy Shield. I run marketing for Narrative Science. I've been here two and a half years. I also lead um, our, our podcast, Leading with Data. So make sure to check that out. Uh, prior to Narrative Science, I spent 20, 25 years in a variety of different um, functions. I've not always been a marketer. I've also been in product development. I've also been in supply chain. And the common thread through each of those roles has been my passion around data and analytics and, and creating a, a team and an organization that's data-driven. And that's what brought me to narrative science. I'd be sitting there one day in my office and I knew there had to be a better way to enable my team and the company um, to easily understand data. When I came across narrative science, I was like, this is it, um, a future where machines you know, converse with humans and humans converse with machines about data. I thought that was um, inevitable. It will happen at some point in time and um, joining Narrative Science to see if we can make that happen was um, really the reason I came here, um, the mission of the company. So I look forward to this conversation and delving a little bit more into this topic. It's something we're all passionate about. Great, well, very excited to have both of you here. I'm gonna quickly look at some of the comments we received in terms of rating the importance of Data storytelling. So we've got an 11 out of 10. Nice. We have a 10, a 9, a 10, a 9, 11. I haven't seen anything less than a 9 at this point. So Zachary says, you know, data and analysis is pointless. It can't be communicated. I, I really do refer to it as that last mile of data analytics, right? If you can't deliver it, if you can't get it across that last mile, you have not run the full marathon, right? There's no point. So you're just running for no reason. You don't get the medal, you don't get the reward. So for the most part, I think um, we're speaking to we're speaking to the, the right crowd here. They, they believe in the importance of, of data storytelling. Now, before I get into any further questions and into our discussion, I think it's important to define data storytelling. So let's let's start with that. What what really is data storytelling? Yeah, so when, when I think of data storytelling, it's the, the sort of easiest thing is when you ask, when you're looking at a dashboard with, with an analyst or somebody who knows and you say, hey, tell me what I'm seeing here or take me through these numbers, right? Those kind of, those kind of things we say that are code for, I don't really understand what this is. Can you, can you explain it to me? And the thing they come back with, that's the, that's the data story, right? That's what they're doing is, is data storytelling. And that's the, that's the kind of informal definition. There, there is a more formal definition that um, Brent Dykes came up with, and is he wrote a great book called "Effective Data Storytelling." This is the definition that Gartner uses, and there, there's three parts to a data story. Uh, the first is viz, which is the part we all know and love with charts and graphs, dashboard kind of stuff. There's the narrative, which is the actual, you know, is the actual stories, written out um, description of, hey, you know, some new product line launched and it's doing really well, and that's helping to drive up revenue and um, but we were sort of supply supply constrained, and so it didn't go up as high as it could have. That's the that's the narrative piece of a data story. 
And then there's extra data, um, just context, right? And really extra data context, stuff that's not in the data. Hey, this team was on vacation. Uh, they just had a bunch of training, which has helped drive up this number. There's a, a boat lodged in the Suez Canal. And so shipping everywhere is delayed. It's that kind of context. It's not really in the data. And so those three pieces, the viz, the narrative, and the context are the sort of more technical definition of what goes into a data story. And I, I personally, I, I like that definition. And the only, the only thing I, I sort of don't like about it is that it makes it sound like a very, it makes data storytelling sound like a very um, ex explicit, intentional, intentional process, right? You think I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a data story now, and I sort of, do, I'm doing data storytelling. Look at me, and that's, you know, that's true, and that does happen externally, but it, it's also happening internally all the time in our brains, right? We don't, humans are not evolved to to look at a line chart or to look at a dashboard and that just goes into your brain, right? That's not, no matter how smart you are, how quantitative you are, how big your brain is, you don't just consume line charts, right? That's not that's not how we're evolved. Instead we do, we, we consume stories. This is how we understand the world. This is why we invented, you know, Zeus and all those guys to explain thunder and lightning. Humans think in stories. And so for anything to stick in our brain, it has to be, uh, for any data to stick in our brain, it has to be in a story form, right? Stories are how we understand and data storytelling is how we consume data and insights. And so what happens a lot of the time is that data storytelling just happens internally in our own brains, right? Mm -hmm. we, we look at a chart, we think, oh, that's going up, that's pretty good. Oh, but I saw a thing go by in Slack. That's the context we're talking about. Maybe, you know, sort of um, some understanding of why it's doing that, that's the narrative. So we do this all informally all the time. And I know we talk about it a lot now. We have podcasts and LinkedIn Live conversations about it, but it's not its not a new thing that you can decide to do or not. It's a thing that we all do internally all the time and you can decide how explicitly and how sort of seriously you want to take that. That's data storytelling for me. So you're saying Zeus is not real. That's <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to offend anyone in the audience. I don't know if there's any ancient Greeks here, but yes, it's generally understood that Zeus is not an actual an actual person. That's a good point. I mean, data storytelling, data stories don't have to be accurate. There can yeah. be really bad, there can be really bad, really shallow, really sort of inaccurate data stories. Um, and then obviously the good ones are, are the ones that are, are meaningful and true and help people make decisions and take actions in the future. Yeah, I think one thing definitely resonated is uh, more so than the rest is when you said that data stories are in our heads. And it's so true because no matter how hard we try to either listen to a presentation or take in information, we already have some sort of other context that we're consuming this with. And that just makes it difficult for the storyteller sometimes to convey their message. And I know we're gonna get into some, some tips and how, how companies like Narrative Science and your tool Lexio can actually address some of that. But first I wanna touch on the fact that companies have all this data, right? They, they collect so much data. And I know there are so many statistics, like every day there's more data than collected today than you know in the past 10 years or something like that. That's not an accurate statistic. But anyways, companies have a lot of data and they build dashboards and they build data visualizations to try and pull insights from that data. How can data storytelling help bridge the gap from collecting that data to actually communicating the key insights to those that need to hear them in a timely fashion? Yeah, I think the first thing we have to get comfortable with is that the only way people understand and act on data is through stories. And so they may be doing that themselves. They may be told the story. But when you start understanding that, you admit to yourself that in order to get the data that we have as a company into the hands of the people who need it, 
they need to be able to understand that. And the way they understand that is they're going to tell themselves a story about what this means to them, to their team, to their organization. So what we've noticed is there's really two ways this happens today. One is what's called do it yourself, which is, you know, we train people. We'll call that data literacy. It's kind of the hot topic, but we train people like myself or my team to understand data, which is not, not understanding is going into a tool and be able to figure out the tool, but understanding what is important for your function or your organization, what metrics drive that, what drivers of those metrics do you need to know, what are then the actions you take to influence that. So the ability to train people to do that is one way to do that. And that's a long process and something that's necessary. The other way to do this is hire a bunch of analysts to help the team do it for them, right? And so, um, you know, this is this is something we all feel. We know there's not enough analysts out there to support an organization when it comes to effectively telling stories and getting data in the hands of others. Um, but those are the two ways that happens today. So it's either do it yourself and get trained uh, or hire a bunch of analysts and train them to train, you know, the business user on how to do it. And that's why we exist. We felt like, the issue that we saw in the market is that's that takes a lot of time that takes a lot of resources it's expensive and it doesn't scale so we asked ourselves listen could we could we scale this and augment this experience through technology and that's what we've that's really why the company was formed so can we let's talk about let's talk about narrative science let's talk about lexio how how, how do we avoid having to spend all the time and resources and either training up people on becoming more data, data literate or hiring a bunch of analysts to do that job for us. Yeah, so uh, we think you can, the, an the answer to the question. <laughs> um, and so we built a product that um, that is automated data storytelling. And so what it does is um, we approached the market and said, um, "There's this is how BI works today. Mm -hmm. It's adopted by, let's call it 30% of the population in an organization. How do we build something different for the other 70%? And we knew that that had to be simple. It had to be personal. It had to be proactive. It had to be the data comes to them. It comes to them in a form of stories. It has context about their function and their role in them and what they need to know. Um, and that's what we do as a company. That's what we do at Lexio. And so really what we see this as, as is a way to scale the analyst function and scale mm -hmm. data storytelling to put the put in the hands of more people in an organization the data they need to do their job. Um, so it's a journey we're on. It's a journey the entire industry is on. Um, we feel like we have one way to do it. It's pretty good. Um, we can get into that later. But uh, yeah, we believe you can do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm definitely looking forward to watching the demo. For those who are tuned in live with us right now, we will have a demo from Cassidy shortly. But first, I want to take a couple of questions that have come in from the audience. Actually, first, I'll start with a comment from Ron. He says that leaving data interpretation up to the end user often creates confusion and erroneous analysis. So very true. I have seen this so many times. Because for two parts, one, the person creating the visualization or dashboard or whatever that might be, they have all this context, all this knowledge that they're they're presenting this information with that knowledge in their head. And then there comes this brand new person, some executive, they're like, what, <laughs> what is this? And then they try to make sense of it. So definitely there, there's definitely a gap that needs to be closed there. Um, and a, a question that came in on the, on the topic from Rhodey, she says she recently had a light bulb moment. Data storytelling done by journalists is not necessarily the presentation of sound data science or analytics. 
therefore might be quite misleading, like the data validation, causation, correlation. How much due diligence do you think a data storyteller is responsible for doing? Well, I'll take that one, Cassie. I, I think they they have a, a, a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of responsibility there, just because you know, like um, like Cassidy was just saying. I think uh, you were saying, Kate. The you know, data storytelling is how you actually influence people with with data, right? And so um, it's one thing if you're if you're throwing up a chart that no one is going to look at or really take anything away from, and the chart is wrong. It's kind of like, well, it's it would the chart should have been better. It should have been more accurate. But there's kind of there's no effect of it. But as you start um, you know, start doing data storytelling, and there's an actual you're you're moving people in some way. All of a sudden, the um, the importance of sort of of, of getting that right um, it, it becomes more important. And so you can do that, and sort of taking responsibility for the numbers. And you can do that through your expertise. Your you know your you know you you have strong data background, strong quite quantitative background. You you sort of know your business there. That's one way to do it. You can rely on um, you know sort of AI or things that you trust, like Lexi or other places where you know our you know, our math is definitely going to be right. We can we can sort of tell you what the system did. It's a very um, repeatable, inspectable process. Mm -hmm. That's another way to get some of that, um, some of that transparency. But yeah, as you start, as you start sort of dealing with things that can impact the real world and really cause people to make changes, I think there is a um, there's an onus for 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 getting that right or getting that as right as possible, and 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 being really clear about what you sort of did to arrive at that, right? And that's another kind of nice part about data storytelling is you can you can explain because you're including more of the why, you're, there's more causation, and there's more, there's it's sort of easier for people to look at that and identify places where your reasoning may be soft or you're confusing correlation and causation because it's sort of, it's more apparent to them. It's easier for people to kind of find weaknesses in it than if it were just a bunch of you know, line charts and it's like, well, where did this data come from? Well, it came out of a database. Okay, well, where did that data come from? You have to sort of keep pulling at it and I'm in a more sort of traditional um, data presentation mode. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to touch on something that we kind of mentioned earlier about the adoption rates, right? So I think it is, um, we can all agree that the adoption rate for, let's say, dashboards or data visualizations or things built with data for people to make decisions with have a pretty low or lower than desired adoption rate. So I wanted to first talk about why you guys think that is, and then maybe touch on how um, Alexio from Narrative Science can can help increase that adoption rate. Well, I mean, I think the first uh, person who made the comment that you pulled up hit the nail on the head, and that is um, today with current technology, it leaves too much room for interpretation. And so obviously, the analyst puts a lot of time into building this dashboard. And then for those who read it, we're all interpreting it differently. And, or we're not interpreting it at all because we don't understand. So over time, what happens is we then just stop looking at the dashboard and we go on and make business decisions without being informed. Yeah. Um, I think another reason though that we've, we haven't hit on is one of culture too, right? So one way to fix this is to build this into your culture, meaning that we are going to make decisions that are data-driven as an organization. And when I think of culture, um, there's a fabulous book out there that's um, what we do is who we are. And I think when it comes to data culture, like that is a perfect way to sum this up. And that is if you want to drive adoption in your organization, yes, you need to train users, you need to have the right technology but you have to have you have to have a data driven culture, and that stops that starts top down. That starts with people like me um, making this an expectation of my organization, 
it starts with the leadership of the company making it an expectation of the entire company. And so I think one of the things that we have a data adoption issue is because this is a nice to have in most organizations. It's mm-hmm. it's not being mandated top down. The company's not making business decisions that are data driven all the time. It's done in pockets. And so when that happens, people aren't going to put in the effort. They're not going to put in the effort to learn it themselves. And the analysts aren't going to put in the effort to go the, the extra mile to make sure people are informed because they ask themselves, what's the use if we're not if we're not making decisions based on data? Yes, and I've seen this so many times, this this whole culture topic. I, I feel like it's it's so complicated because you'll have, especially in the bigger organization, right? You'll have different personalities you're working with. You have some people that still want a piece of paper in a meeting versus a dashboard that the analysts clearly have invested so much time in, in designing or, or putting stuff together and analyzing or trying to tell that data story. So how do we, and I guess it, it's a gradual thing, but how do we actually move towards a stronger, more data-driven culture? I, 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 for me, I think a lot of it is, um, is around the, like Cassidy was saying, the going from top to bottom. And I think there's also the dimension of like regularity is also super important where there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like monthly status updates or here's the quarterly deck that, you know, maybe gets shared out with the company. And that's cool. That's like better than not doing data at all. But it's, you know, like you mentioned, I know you're a big runner, Kate. You can't say I'm a big runner. I, I run at the end of every quarter. I, I run 10 miles. That's not, you don't get to self-identify as a runner like that, right? Um, and, and I think it's the same thing with data. If you really want to be, a, you know, data-driven culture, because we all want to, and we've all, every organization we've talked to has spent the money and it has has felt like they've sort of bought the right to be a data-driven culture with all these huge investments they've made. But, they, but then they don't sort of do the work to have that be a, you know, a week-to-week or, or a day-to-day thing. It becomes these big sort of data dumps that are, that are hard to sort of wrap your heads around and it's just not, it's not enough to course correct. And you do, you know, doing annual planning or, you know, doing sort of new updated quarterly projections, that's super useful and we should, we should take advantage of those sort of natural milestones. But there's also, there's just minor, you know, course corrections and um, updates and sort of um, situational awareness we want, you know, throughout the week, throughout the month and, and sort of helping people get that. And it's not, I was listening to a, a sales call we had recently and the analyst on the other end was like, this isn't rocket science. It's like, yeah, a lot of this stuff is not, it's not rocket science, right? They don't, we don't need these big models delivered, you know, four times a day, but knowing when you close deals, knowing when all of a sudden your chance of hitting your, you know, your goal slips below 50% or knowing when some big thing has moved, that's really valuable to know at two o'clock on a Tuesday. And I think it's, there are, there are a few organizations that have, um, that have that sort of regular cadence and that I think it's necessary to really keep the awareness of data and understanding of data in the air that it like it needs to be to really be part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I find interesting is um, I, I think this is part responsibility of all of us in an organization. We don't show up at work and ask where our computer is. We, we don't show up at work and say, um, why are you not training me to be better in my function? I mean, we need to show up at work and be like, I demand I demand the data I need to do my job. I mean, we're hiring people. We expect them to be data-driven. We expect them to make decisions to run the business. We're democratizing decision-making more and more throughout an organization. Everybody is. People need the tools to do their job effectively, and those tools are the data they need to understand if how they're performing and what they need to do to change and drive the decisions that they're going to make. And 
we as like leaders on the front lines need to be saying, we demand that our team has the data to be able to do their job effectively for us to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think trust plays a big, big role in, in driving that culture forward because the more people can see that they can trust what's being put in front of them, that new format, right? That they might not have been used to seeing because they're, they love doing the with things the way they always used to do. Um, definitely dealt with those where I'm like, but see, this is what you used to use and this is the same thing. It matches. And then they're like, oh, okay. It's easier to kind of sway them, uh, sway them over. Um, checking in on some of the questions that are coming in. So Lucas has a question here. He says, how do you balance leaving the message you want to communicate clearly and not stripping information that could lead to other conclusions? Yeah, well, I think in general, uh, I love that you say that there's a message you want to communicate because I think lots of times that there's this sort of idea, when I, when I talk to particular sort of like junior um, analysts where they, it's their job to do the numbers and their job to present those to people that are business folks or sort of know more than them or are more business comfortable with them and they're gonna draw the right conclusions from that. And I I really see that sort of as an abdication of the analyst role, right? They have to have, it's the analyst's job to communicate some kind of takeaways, right? They have to be, my, in my view, they should be building data stories. It has that narrative thing. It's not just descriptive, it's also making recommendations. It's, it's sort of, um, you know, talking about what drove a thing, it has a, it's an opinionated piece of that. And so I think it is really important to have the message. And I think it's, you know, when I sort of think back to um, different communications or sort of reports or pieces of analysis I've read, it's here's here's the sort of top line recommendation, here's the top line um, from takeaway from the AIMS point of view, here are other things that are less well supported by the data and, you know, and, and including those in there and sort of having having those available as threads that people can pull and hey, there's more we can dig into if some something doesn't smell right about my conclusion, here's other options we can look at. I think that's a great mode um, to sort of have those kind of not backup options, but other other like possible messages or takeaways. Um, but I love the emphasis on coming up with having an opinion and sort of um, it, it, putting yourself out there. I think it's often kind of a nerves thing where they don't want to, you know, if all I do is present data, then nobody can be mad at me or tell me I screwed up because I'm just I'm just doing what the numbers say and I and I I really encourage everyone um, listening in to to go farther than that and to try to have to try to have that message. Yeah, yeah. Typically, the the question that gets asked when you see uh, in analysis is what drove that. So when I think about what do you strip out, you strip out the things that aren't relevant to like what drove that result. And so that's the way I would think about this in terms of communication. There's a lot of data that goes into an analysis. What we really want, the person wants to know is what drove it. And then they want to know what should I do about it. Um, so when I think of it, when you think about communicating, I would focus on on that. Can you answer that question for the person you're communicating to? Yes. Um, and and I also think when whenever we're presenting a, a data story, a lot of times it's helpful to think through first of all who your audience is and what are the maybe two to three questions they'll have as soon as they see that visual, right? Because clearly you're telling them something and they'll ask, well, why is this something bigger than the other something? And then your next story could be, well, this is, and I think it's so easy a lot of times to predict it if you've taken at least a few minutes to think about what do they care about and what are they going to ask? So you can be a lot more prepared for, for that data storytelling. Um, and one, one, one point that I feel like a lot of maybe data analysts, data scientists struggle with data storytelling is they get caught up into telling the story of the data, meaning 
So I went to this data source and I connected it with this other data source and it lagged for like an hour. And then we connected <laughs> it joined on this field, you know. So how do, what's the right way to tell a data story, let's say to a business executive? What, what would you start with? And you can use a, an actual example if you'd like or just make, make something up. You're a business executive, Cassidy. What do you what do you what do you look yeah, for in a data story? I, I love that you brought up that example. Like what I don't need to hear is how you put the data together. Um, as, as, as impressive as that might be, that might be a conversation we can have over coffee, but not when we're sitting in a room talking about the business. Um, first and foremost, I mean, it's important for the analysts to understand what drives our business uh, or what drives that function. So as a marketer, what do I care about? What are the metrics I'm using to drive the function, the team, et cetera, and how do those impact the, the top line? And once you know that, then what you need to help me do is figure out like what are the things that we're doing that drive that or that we're not doing that we should be doing to drive that this puts a ton of pressure on the analyst because the analyst doesn't doesn't not only need to understand data and how to get it together into a dashboard or a tool they also need to understand my business and so that's a tough spot to be in but that's the requirement if you're going into a, an executive you know meeting and you need to explain what the numbers mean to the business uh short and concise obviously so what are the things that are um, significant, statistically significant. Um, what are the things that we don't know in the data that we, that we would like to know? So those would be the risks that you would call out and say, you know, these are the things that the analysis doesn't tell us that we should look at things we need to analyze more. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head early, Kate, and that is you got to understand your audience for someone like me, I'll, I'll be happy to dig into it a little bit more. Um, you know, somebody like my boss, you need to give it to them, um, at a different level. And so this is the human side of this that everybody needs to figure out whether you're the marketing leader or the marketing analyst is, um, at what level do you need to communicate to a particular person? Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. A, a thing I try to keep in mind is that it's, it's like a well understood thing, but it's what's in it for me and trying to like put yourself in, you know, I was just thinking, I had the same, I was thinking of Stuart, <laughs> Cassidy's boss too. Um, and it's like, what, what's in it for, for Stu's or CEO, what's in it for Stuart and like, if you're going through and talking about, you know, how long the data load took or how, how, how hard you had to work to clean the data, there's like nothing, he can't do anything with it. I mean, he may kind of appreciate that and like employees are working hard level, but there's nothing he can't sort of, he can't like wrap his arms around that at all. Right. And so it's, and, and it's same, you know, it's kind of easy to think about that when it's the CEO and we're trying, it's like, oh, it's the CEO, but it's the same thing for, you know, I, um, someone on the, on the sales team, I, I don't talk to them about here's the nitty gritty of our architecture and here's how it works. It's, oh, here's, I, I want them to understand how Lexio works at a high level, so but I have to give it to them in a way that they can wrap their arms around it, where there's something in it for them, and this is how you can help close deals with that, or this is how you can have this kind of conversation. So I think just trying to have that mindset of when you're communicating, it's on the it's for the benefit of your audience, right? Not for you. This is not a performance review where you talk about how hard you work. It's really for the audience, and so trying to be really cognizant of what's in it for them has been has been a, a thing that I've been using. Um, effectively for the last few years. It took me a while to learn it, but I'm there now. Yeah, I think the thing I tend to keep in mind um, for, for this question is whenever you go to a doctor or a dentist or something of, along those lines, they never say, okay, so we ran your blood work and we did this exact test and then we did it five times because the machine kept breaking. And it <laughs> oh, man, it was the whole thing. <laughs> like, Am I dying or not? Right? Like, just tell me what's yeah. happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All that. Like, so I, I definitely draw some similarities there. Um, 
We've got a couple more questions that just came in. So Ron, Ron is asking here specifically uh, about Lexio. So are the stories presented in Lexio created by AI or are they stored and then presented when certain thresholds are met? Yeah, I, I love I love Lexio. Questions about Lexio and AI, Ron. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's all they're all totally generated by an AI. And we, um, if you want to catch up later, I can. I'm happy to go deep um, with you on how that works. But in general, um, there's sort of two modes Lexio is working in. One is for the for the news feed and what we call the notable insights, where every time we pull in data every few hours, Lexio is is doing a bunch of analysis against that data, looking for notable things that have happened and when it finds them uh, writing a story about that and pushing that to people's you know to their phones to their to their desktops wherever they are and those stories are all written by ai um, and as well as you can also uh, you'll see this with cassidy demos that you can just intentionally explore deeper and say i want to track this metric at this time frame and then lexio writes that story again for you right then it's all it's all totally driven by ai there's a lot of information and sort of um, models we built into Lexio. So it knows a lot about BI and the types of questions people ask and things in the world that they probably want to do analysis over and how to communicate all that in plain English. And that's, you know, a lot of the IP and technology we've built is in that space. And so once you get your data wired in and give us the few little bits we need, Lexio is happy to write you data stories all day long. Wow, awesome. So I think it's a, it's a good point, um, good time for us to switch over and maybe talk about some common use cases for Lexio, and then uh, look at the demo, Cassie, whenever whenever you're ready to, to show that, just let me know, I'll share your screen. Okay. Um, yeah, use cases are interesting. We, um, we have two, we've seen two real uh, themes come out in our customers and the prospects we talk to. One is uh, the clear use case of the analyst saying, I need to replicate myself. Um, I have too many questions, I have too much demand, can this replicate what do I do? What I do? Can this give me a superpower, as Nate would say, and, and, and scale my team using technology? So that's that's one. It comes from the analysts for the analytics team saying they recognize the problem first and they want to do something about that. They know they're not getting to hire 10, 50 more people. Is there a way to scale it? The other we're seeing is coming from an executive DAO, which is saying, this isn't working for my company. Uh, this is what I want. And which is really interesting. You don't see a lot of BI or analytics tools being bought by C-suite. And we've seen a lot of that come in where they're like, listen, I'm trying to empower my team and my organization. The way we're doing it is not working. Um, this is resonates more with me, executive level reporting, et cetera. So let's start there and kind of work our way out to the organization. So these are kind of two distinct uh, use cases that are coming in, executive reporting, starting at the top, working down to the front lines, or the analyst function saying, um, what I'm doing today works in pockets, but I need to scale that. I need a, I need a more efficient way. Yeah, I've definitely been in the boat where I was the analyst. And once people see something, once they get a taste of some sort of data, right, that they've never seen before, maybe, or they've seen in disparate spreadsheets, but now they can see it all together, then all the other departments are like, oh, I want that. Yep. Now I want that now. And yeah, you can't just get 10 or 20 more people. So I'm glad that there is a solution. Um, and I guess you're about to show us now, right? Yeah, I can pop it up and walk walk everybody through it. Um, awesome. I'm excited. I love demos. So let me, uh, if I do this, does that mess things up? I still see your screen. And by the way, for those um, listening, feel free to jump in with questions and comments throughout the demo. We'll, we'll take questions. We're trying to. Hold on a second. 
You took your screen away, Cassidy. I know, I it's okay. We'll just look at your artwork for now behind you. So, I heard you had a couple of new images added to your. To your I background. did. Yeah, we're there. We go. I was like, I was looking at the. I need to be able to get to Alexia. That was my fault. Yeah, I do. I have. It was, it was my wife's birthday, so we added some more art to the wall. Um, Perfect. So, uh, can you see this, Kate? Yep, we can see all it, right. and, and I can see you moving it. So it's all good. All right, great. So there's there's three words I want everybody to keep in mind as I go through this. Simple, personal, and proactive. I mentioned this earlier. Um, what we've done with Lexio is we tried to reimagine an analytics experience specific to the business user. So if you think about the problem we're trying to solve, which we've been talking about on this call, there's a place in time where today's BI tools, dashboards work really well. But for the vast majority of an organization, they don't. And so what we wanted to do is not design a better dashboard, but a different experience for those who aren't using dashboards. And this is what you see with Lexio. So um, the paradigm or the inspiration of this is, can we do with business data what we do in our personal lives when we, can, when we consume information? And so what you're looking at here is this thing called the newsfeed, and I'll walk through the components of it in a minute. But what we're trying to do is say, in our personal lives, we're on Apple News, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, uh, we're on the New York Times. This is how we consume information in our personal lives. Why can we not consume information in our professional lives the same way? And so that was the spirit behind the newsfeed. And so let me walk you through a few of the components. What you see right away at the top is this thing called pin metrics. So I'm a marketer. These may be the metrics that I would want to pin. These are the metrics that are driving my function or my responsibility. I'm looking, as you see here, at revenue or bookings per month, at pipeline and at leads. And what Lexio is doing is a few things. It's saying, how am I tracking to the goal? And what is driving that performance? And you can see that here in the paragraph. So this is Lexio's AI at work that Nate talked about saying, you know, your revenue is up and these are the reasons it's up. It's up because of this rep. It's up in the city of Atlanta. It's driven by this lead source, et cetera. So pretty simple. This is what I need to know to manage my, my function day in and day out. Lexio is telling me what I need to know. The key here is this, this is unique to each individual. So the metrics that I pin would be different than the metrics that you pin, Kate, that would be different than the metrics that Nate would pin. And so this is basically me telling Lexio in one way, what do I care about? The other way you tell Lexio what you care about is you follow topics. And this is very similar to what you would do on Apple News. You're following certain things that you're interested in. So over here, are there are other topics that you can just follow and set up notifications for. So I want to know about sales performance, customer support, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I'm telling Alexio, these are the things I care about that are important to me that I would like to get more information and more insight on. So once you've done this, this can be set up by the end user or the analyst. Alexio starts telling you things that, we, that the tool thinks that you need to know. And Nate mentioned this, those are notable insights. These are meaningful trends in your business. So what are the things that are happening day in and day out in your data that you may want to take a deeper look at? So leads are up, support tickets are up, pipelines higher than usual. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. Lexio using AI to say these are the things that we think you need to look at because they may be notable and impactful to your business. And then last, what you see in the newsfeed is just we sometimes want to know what are we, what's happening day in and day out. 
So what happened yesterday in ad performance? What happened yesterday in leads? Did we book any deals? Did deals change transitions? Do we ship product? Like this is what Lexio is doing down here is you can set this up and say, these are the other things that I'm interested in knowing happened in my data every day. Mm -hmm. So this is a news feed. Now you could go to this page and you can look at it. You can go on your phone and look at it. because so there's an app. You can set up alerts and notifications to bring it to you. And so what we're working on is when I say bring it to you, today you can get this in your email, a summary. Soon you'll be able to get it in Slack, in Teams, as alerts on your phone, in another application. So if you're in Salesforce, we can put it there. And the point here is we want to bring this to where your users are. If your users are communicating in Slack, we're going to bring the insight to them. If your users are on the go, like a lot of executives, we're going to bring it to them on their phone and so forth and so on. So the idea here is you tell Lexi a little bit about what you want to know, Lexi, mm -hmm. back what you need to know. So that is where the majority of people spend their time. But let's say you also want to look a little deeper. And I'll go through this in one minute. You can. So this is kind of analogous to what you would do with the dashboard. It just has more context. So what I'm pulling up here is you can go through and look at a deeper story on bookings. You can see how many deals drove it. So this starts to look familiar to other people. You can look at what drove this. We talked about drivers. These are the drivers that drove the business. I can click this and see other drivers. Hmm. I can see how it's trending over time. So this, to Nate's point, is all AI driven. You didn't have to set this up. You didn't have to build this as an analyst. What Lexio does is if you're looking at this story, it then understands what other stories you'll want to look at. So you have this thing called what to read next. And it helps you kind of intelligently discover data. So you can go through. You get the idea. I can break it down further. It creates another story for me. Wow. So this is really breaking down. You get the idea. And so what, what we're trying to do here is create an experience that's easy and intuitive. So like I said before, simple, personalized to each person, proactive, meaning Lexio brings the insight to you. Um, what the analyst does, obviously, is spends time getting data from their warehouse or their transactional systems into Lexio. The analyst gets to spend time understanding what are the drive, the metrics that are important and the drivers for, for their organizations. There's obviously tools here where you can configure thresholds and permissions and so forth and so on. But what they're not doing is spending their time building dashboard after dashboard. And, and this, is, this is kind of our vision of how you scale insight to everybody in the company in a way that's easy to, easy to consume. Amazing. Thank you so much for walking through this. I, I'll just um, keep your screen up for a second, but oh, you removed it. That's okay. I just had a few questions. So first of all, I, I love it. It looks very simple. And it reminds me of something that um, in, my, in the prior role, we were working on a weekly email that would say something along the lines of, okay, here are the top industries that we made sales in. Here are the top three clients. And this went up by 10% over the last week. But I'm telling you, to put that email together, it took a full day and a full team of people. And it still would not be accurate because it involved so many moving pieces and people and data sources. And again, I'm being that person who, you know, who's not supposed to be talking about the data, but I am. Because I can see this very easily and quickly replacing something that is a very 
automated kind of weekly email that should be simple, but was definitely far from simple. Now, first, the easy question. Um, when you were showing the notable notable notifications or was it notable insights, there was a thumbs up. Is that because it was a good insight or do you click that thumbs up if you like the insight? What, what was that all about? Yeah, I, uh, let me do. Let me show. I'm I'm gonna I'm killing us here. Going back and forth. This is exactly exactly what you told me not to do. Okay. Um, all right. So, yes, bright spots, red flags. You can kind of choose the the type of notable insight that you're looking for. So if you just click bright spots, you'll get the thumbs up, meaning hey, this is good. You know, um, congratulations. <laughs> red flags is obviously where you we're gonna probably like to dive dive a little bit deeper, and that is. Mm -hmm. uh, something's trending higher than usual in this example, you can then explore and go deeper into that to find out what's happening. I love that. That's so cute with the little flag. Nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. So then uh, thank you for that. A question from, from Lucas, then I'll ask my second question. Lucas is asking if Lexia works in languages other than English at this point. Yeah, at this point, no, it's in English today. Um, who knows what the future will hold, but um uh, no, it's in English. Um, when what we find in, in a lot of our businesses that uh, over the kind of our history, which has predominantly been in the U.S., but we have other products we've sold international, is that you know, for most part, kind of analytics and data are kind of consumed within within English. I know that's not consistent in every country, yeah. but the prioritization right now is English, and hopefully we're successful to some point in the future where we can um, make Lexio in any language. I don't know if Nate, awesome. if you want to add anything there about how we would do that Just, but yeah we, we've identified two two different ways of doing that um what in general the whole the ai is, is trying to be as language independent as possible so all of the a lot of the work we do is deciding you know what information should be included in the story what's relevant and interesting to you know this particular reader at this particular point of time what should go in the headline how should we refer to time frame should we say last week or the week beginning you know april 7th there's all those mm -hmm. kinds of decisions that the system is making that have nothing to do with language. And then at the very end, it has to convert it to English or sort of, um, it's called realization. It realizes that it's English. Mm -hmm. And so potentially we, we would have Lexio generate natively in other languages. That's one avenue we've discussed. And also of course, machine translation is, is getting really good as, as we keep, we're sort of keep pushing off having Lexio generate in other languages. It's something we've been talking about for, I think all 11 years I've been here. Um, <laughs> And along, along as we keep not doing it, automated translation keeps getting better and better. So that's another option for us is, you know, we continue to be English only generation, but then there's some UI component that lets you just switch to another language. And, you know, under the covers, we're using Google Translate or Bing Translate or Azure Translate or whatever mm -hmm. um, tool is the best. So those are kind of the two avenues we've discussed. But like Cassidy said, it's everybody's always interested in it. And then we have had a lot of luck sort of keeping it English only for now. And so that's the that's where we're at currently. Yeah, that makes sense because the Google Translate really is really pretty accurate for, for the most part that I've used it. Um, it. It seems like the narrative that Lexio puts out is in very simple language. So there would be not too much left to the imagination for, for a Google Translate machine. Uh, it, but I guess it, it's interesting because the languages, you know, we, we shoot for sort of like a middle middle school grade reading level. We want it to be really you know, we don't want a bunch of complicated sentence structures and that kind of stuff. We're trying to keep things simple. So that's great for automated translation. And then the tricky bit is a lot of it is kind of businessy jargon for, you know, some customer has a 
has some dimension they're talking about that's like you know widgets, but some specific form of widgets that Google hasn't seen a lot of. Some of the translation is not as good around those particular kind of business domain objects. So that part of it's harder, but it's um, it, it's it's a balance. Yeah, and uh, a LinkedIn user, I'm not sure who this is at this point, but said, well, once you deliver in Swiss German, you've definitely made it. Yeah, Swiss German is pretty far, pretty far down the prioritization list, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, and another uh, comment here from Ron, he says that K-12 really needs data presented this way because too often we just throw a lot of raw data at the teacher and expect them to be able to interpret the data and use it to drive student learning. Now, I just wanted to briefly reflect on this because for the past two years, I've been on this monthly school leadership team meeting with my, at that point she was in kindergarten, but now first grader. And we do try to use data um, very unsuccessfully because I see the team, it's like, you know, 12 or 15 of us have parents, have teachers, and most of them have no clue about the data that's collected. And I, I can see so many mistakes in terms of how it's aggregated or how they try to explain like chronic absenteeism and all this. I'm like, oh my God, everyone needs to be more data literate and you can see the problems everywhere. So I, I agree, Ron, we need this. <laughs> we, need, we need a nice little paragraph that can tell us all the insights um, yeah. without having to dig through data and come up with incorrect assumptions. Yeah not, yeah, not to make a plug for one of our customers, but we have a customer who builds K-12 technology called Otis. And oh. they use Lexio internally to their organization, but they use one of our other tools to do exactly what you said, Kate. They, they have an analytics dashboard, and then they put a narrative next to it to describe to parents and teachers what's happening in the classroom. Yes, that's good. Or they would have to hire the analysts, right? So I think a lot of times technology ends up being a lot more cost effective and accurate than trying to hire and train up data analysts. My more, I guess, complex question um, around Lexio is, let's say I'm a company and I have data and I love Lexio. I just saw the data gated show and I have all this data. How do I go from having all this data, being excited about the product to actually seeing something like this? I just want to give you a purpose for keeping your screen sharing. So there you go. <laughs> so what's the process? Do you want to walk through it first, Nate? Uh, you, you, you got it, Cassidy. You can take this. Yeah. Time. So um, unlike the way so we, I'll pull this up so you can look at it. Um, obviously, we focus on building experience that's unique to what is in BI today. When it comes to getting data into the system, um, we didn't create anything unique. It is as easy as getting data into Alexio as it is to get data into Tableau, Power BI, et cetera. So we can connect uh, pretty much any data source. Um, you can also push data to Alexio. In the future, we'll be doing direct query on the data warehouses. So that's on the roadmap and something we'll make sure that we do. So our, you know, our, our, our philosophy here is to reduce the friction it takes to get data into a tool like this. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say we do it very consistently to um, most other analytics tools. And, you know, with that comes the good and the bad. Obviously, you need to have the data structured in a way that um, you can pass it to any tool. Now, what's different is, like, once the data gets into Lexio, there is no building of a story. It's really just configuration of the story. And so once you have your data and you're getting into Lexio, we can go from kind of data to story quickly. That could be something we could do depending on your data in 
an hour um, to a couple of days, but there isn't a huge build process on our side with regard to getting this as the output. Um, thanks to the, the engineering work that, that Nate and the team have done. So uh, a lot of the work is getting the data ready, just like in, you know, any analytic product. But then when you get the, the data into Lexio, it's just a matter of kind of thresholds and, and, and some configuration and tweaking and mapping of the data, which doesn't take very long. We can do that um, together with the client and eventually we'll train the client to do that. Um, and you can get stories in a matter of hours to a few days. Great. There's one, one more thing to mention there. There's a lot less upkeep as well. Once it's once it's like, like, like you know, everything Cassidy just said about getting it up and running and then but then like Lexi or Lexio showed, Cassidy showed in Lexio um, using those follow-up questions though, what else happened or, or what to read next in exploring. And, and like you said, that's not, that's not another dashboard that some analysts had to go build really quickly for you, right? Once the, mm -hmm. once the upfront configuration is done and you have the KPIs that matter most of people in your org defined, you have the topics, those different things you sub can subscribe to. Once those are defined, users have a lot of, um, they have a lot of freedom to explore off of that. And the nice thing is that instead of an analyst sort of building up different dashboards or sorts of chains of dashboards and trying to link them together, it's Lexio that's really kind of laying out the nice garden path for people. And it helps people get to other stories that are that are relevant to what they're reading, that are um, you know, impacted or help illuminate what they just read. And so once it's, once it's kind of set up, there's a lot more um, support for data exploration by normal users without the analysts having to do things. But of course, we hopefully they don't have to do too much exploration because you know the newsfeed, notable insights, and alerts, and all that kind of stuff is focused. It's helping them focus on what what matters most to them right then. Yeah, absolutely. And now, sort of a follow up question on how long this would take. There's a question of how long would it take to set up the data that, um, that Cassidy you showed in the example. So how long would something like that take? Yeah, it's interesting when you look at this example. If you still see my screen, like. Um, it's pulling data from a variety of different sources. So you have you have sales data here that could be coming from Salesforce. You have leads that could be coming from a marketing automation platform. You have human resources data, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like I said, it, it doesn't take long once we have the data that we want to connect to to get to a point where you're reading a story and then we can mm -hmm. configure the story from there. Really the work comes down to like, like any any data analytics tool is, do you have the data in a format and in a place that you can access? Is it clean? Is it ready to go to be looked at in an analytical tool? Do you know, as Nate said, the KPIs that, um, that you know, you want to create a story around. So this is very KPI driven story, very metric driven story. You can think of our unit of measure as the metric, not a dashboard. Mm -hmm. um, but once you have that, um, it doesn't, there's not a huge lift to get to get this up and running. And that's that's what we do with the client is work with them to do that. Um, so to get all this set up, depending on how well your data is, could be, uh, you know, a week. Okay. Yeah. I think that data cleanliness will play a role no matter what tool you're trying to use, even if it's just Excel or something that and basic. What we have found at that point, though, is like um, when you see things in words, it, it creates a higher bar. So we'll get people really excited and they'll come in and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like, okay, uh, I, I have to get my data in order if somebody's going to read it in a tool like this, um, yeah. which we see that as a good thing because that means people are using your data. So when people use the data that you have in a company, obviously it's the quality of that data is going to increase versus them not using it. But 
this is definitely a we've seen a bar get set a lot higher when you can see your your insight your data in words and in charts and graphs it's funny because lots of times it's data that's been powering dashboards for the last year and a half and no one ever noticed that it was way off until they see the story like that's not that's not what that looked like and it's like i i don't know man you guys have been looking at this for a year and a half and no one no one ever you know supposedly theoretically looking at this data for a long time and but like cassidy said when it's actually again when it's in a way that we can our brains can actually deal with it all of a sudden there's all these issues that that pop out to us that we just sort of glazed over before when it was you know just powering a chart somewhere yeah, and I, I actually wanted to briefly touch on adoption rates again, because it, like, for example, if, I, if I'm the head of the organization that implemented Lexio, do I have insights to see how many people in the organization are actually reading those stories or have clicked on that specific link? Yeah, so this is what's you know nice about this technology is um, we track everything a user does in the product. So you can see mm -hmm. it at a high level. Um, mm -hmm. We also chat, track like click path and click stream, et cetera, because what we're doing as we went through the stories, we're also um, saying if you look, you know, you look at this, we're going to reorient the story and pull up the next thing that you would look at. So the intelligence in the system is also based on your usage over time and the usage of others who are like you. Right. So mm -hmm. all marketers like you tend to look at these things. So let's surface those things to the top. Uh, mm -hmm. for example. That's all powered by figure out how we'd architect um, usage underneath. Okay, great. And uh, we have some more questions that came in. So uh, Torben says, impressive. What kind of stories can it tell? Is it significant changes, highs, lows, comparisons? And a follow-up question, can it also draw conclusions, make predictions to try to find correlations, et cetera? So essentially, what kind of stories can it tell? Yeah, so let, I'll start with this and then Nate will jump in. Um, We've really focused Lexio on what we call like operational metrics. So let's call those KPIs that change over time. The reason is because this is first and foremost what people use to like drive data-driven decisions is how am I tracking on you know sales, production, hiring, you have it. And so what Lexio is focused on today, that, that at a macro level, the type of story is a KPI story that changes over time. That's the focus. Um, within that, there's a few different story types that you can see in here, um, if I pull it back up, there's a track story, there's a breakdown story. We just see your summary pin metrics. That's what you're showing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if we go into like, I go back in here, you can see over here. There's this is a track story. This is the type mm -hmm. of we're tracking the KPI. Here you can go through and compare. So you can compare uh, different drivers of that KPI. You can break down that story. So you can think of this as you know, you got all your filters here. You can just click mm -hmm. on anything here and you can, it'll refire the story and break it down in that dimension. So those are the three kind of macro ways we tell, you know, we have a KPI story. We tell it in three ways. You can track, you can compare, and you can break down. Um, we'll be adding additional story types uh, as we go. Um, I'll turn it over to Nate to kind of elaborate kind of on the vision of where we see this going with regard to that, as well as kind of the predictive side of this, which was the second half of the question. Yeah, um, yeah. So just like Cassie said, one of the things that I get excited about with Lexio is is that we're always improving these stories, and as soon as we improve them, they improve for our customers. Like the mm -hmm. the driver analysis we just saw is really nice, and it's a lot better than it was a month ago. And as soon as we made that change internally, obviously all of our stories got better, which we're happy about. 
but it just gets better for all of our um, all of the readers throughout all of our customers as well. So it, it's nice that it, it's just always improving. You know, when when Tableau releases a new version, it's not like every dashboard suddenly becomes more valuable and more insightful. But that's that's the model we're at uh, with Lexio. And for um, predictions and correlations, we do you know we do we do project numbers forward. We have different sort of um, time series analysis and projection libraries we use there. Um, there aren't any correlations in the system currently, I don't think, but that's because we haven't pulled that over. We have um, Cassidy referred to, we have a couple other products, sort of earlier um, earlier things in this space. And there we would look for correlated metrics and call things out. So there's sort of, there's a set of analysis um, or pieces of analysis that we kind of just haven't got to yet. We are trying to really build out, you know, make sure the stories are valuable, but really build out that whole end-to-end -end experience and make sure that it's all resonating with people with the, news feeds and Slack integrations and all that kind of good stuff. So in general, we're going to be, um, you know, continually uh, adding more types of analyses to the story, more forward looking analysis. But something big for us, and, and you called this out, Kate, I love that you pointed out the the thumbs up and the red flags is we never, we never want to just dump a bunch of hard stats at people, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of systems today where you can give them something, they'll, they'll give you bullet points with here's all these crazy statistical measures you've never heard of. Here's what the value is for this particular line chart. And that's not that's not helpful for the business user, right? And so when we think about correlations, calculating correlations, it's not, here's a, we're gonna do a whole ton of correlation of analysis and dump this off to somebody. It's like, hey, we noticed when you're reading this particular story about ad spend that there's this other metric that's often correlated with it. And so we're gonna call that out in the story and maybe give you a little UI widget to sort of say, hey, this is a good correlation, or this is spurious, or this is causative, or kind of give us a little more information. But it's all around, um, the analysis we do is never to sort of talk about how hard our analysis is, or how fast our computation engine is, or any of that kind of stuff. It, it's hard, and it's um, and it, it, it goes fast. But it, it's all about how, how we can actually make those stories work for, work for people that aren't statisticians, or data scientists, or analysts. I, I think there's something so powerful in, in showing your end users maybe some sort of data point that they might have not even thought to look at or to ask about. It's like you mentioned some something that's correlated or you know shows up often when you're looking at ad spend. I think the ability to pull those insights into their view is, is already so powerful. And I know we're a little bit over time at this point, and we do have more questions that are coming in, which... Um, you guys can actually go on LinkedIn and continue to, to chat with people in the chat because this will stay on LinkedIn. Um, but I, I know what everyone is thinking right now. They're thinking, how do I get a trial version or how do I go and try this out? So where can people go to learn more about Lexio? Is there a, a free trial available that they can play with? Yeah, so um, you can find us at neuroscience.com. That's uh, where you'll find Lexio. Uh, we do offer free trials, but it's not something that you can self-serve. So if this is of interest to you and you want to. <laughs> That's Cassidy. I got it. That's me. <laughs> he, looked, he looked like he was right behind you. He had a, Nate had a great poker face there. It took a while to figure out that was, that was coming from him. But, uh, but yeah, if you want to try this with your own data, just you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. We'll get a meeting set up and we'll talk about how we can get you, um, get you to try it. Um, so it's as simple as that. We do have what you saw here. What I was demoing is an online demo. So you can go at neuroscience.com. You can actually see an interactive demo and you can click around in data. And this, what I demoed here, you can all yeah. play with yourself. Okay. Awesome. And <laughs> 
Um, Robert's just saying that the baby won't <laughs> I, I agree. I think that's exactly what's happening. Um, oh, Nate's back. Oh, here. <laughs> we'll have to give this baby a free trial now. <laughs> He's feeling better now. F f future engineer right there. Yeah. He's not wearing pants. <laughs> so we've got to work on something. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap things up. I love this. Um, my my last question is usually where can people go to reach out to you, right? Where do you prefer they reach out? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? Um, is there is there another way to contact you to continue this conversation? Yeah, I can speak for Nate. Like you can find us on LinkedIn, both of us. Um, you can also hit me up at cshield.narrativescience.com. As a marketer, I welcome all uh, <laughs> feedback and all requests to try the product. Um, we'd be happy to get you set up or for Great. the conversation on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you both. Well, all three of you so much for, for taking the time to talk today about data storytelling and culture and adoption rates and data literacy. Always such a pleasure to chat. And yeah, have a great rest of your week. Stay dedicated. I, I will see you all online. Thanks, Kate. Really appreciate it. Have a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Thanks, everybody, Bye. for coming. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Aw. <laughs>